On today's Locked on NHL, we discuss the semi-retirement of Jonathan Taves. We remember longtime Sabres broadcaster Rick Jenneret, plus the effects of the QMJHL banning fighting, and a look ahead to the preseason games kicking off in Australia, all on today's show. Your Locked on NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Locked on NHL for Friday, August 18th. I am Rachel Donner from Locked on Flyers. I'm here once again with Gil Martin of Locked on Islanders. Gil, I've missed you so much. Oh, it's it's great to be back. It's been a rough couple of weeks, but uh, I'm on the mend and happy to be doing the show again with you. And uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. You can subscribe or follow us for free over on YouTube or on the SiriusXM app. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll get our latest episode as soon as it's available here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Gil, uh, we got an announcement this week that I think was both surprising and unsurprising at the same time, right? With, with Jonathan Taves, where he posted to social media that he's not officially retiring, but he's going to be away from the game this upcoming season, uh, continuing to recover from long COVID and, uh, and process that. And I think th this whole thing with him has been really interesting and it's been rough, especially when a guy who's had such a storied career has this kind of struggle at the tail end. Right. Yeah. It's, it's disappointing that it, it has to come to this as far as him still dealing with the long COVID. And obviously we wish uh, him as complete and speedy recovery as is possible. But look, your health has to come first. He has to take care of that. And unfortunately, you know, we're not going to see him on the ice this year unless there's some kind of drastic improvement that, you know, we're not necessarily expecting right now. Yeah. And I think there's a couple interesting things here as well. Number one, he specifically mentioned that it was related to long COVID, which he has been kind of reticent to talk about. And he mentioned specifically in his social post that, you know, after talking to some people, he recognizes that it's something maybe he should be a little more vocal about, that he's a private person, he's not quite ready yet, but that it's something he does eventually plan to talk about uh, more publicly. And I think, you know, it's something that affects a lot of millions of people in, you know, around the world. And, you know, to have somebody whose career has been directly impacted by it to be able to like put a face and a voice to it, I think it's going to be important. So I'm glad he said something like that. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely an opportunity to make people understand more about long COVID to, to raise awareness of it and the effects of it. So uh, it's good to see that even if it's reluctantly, because he is more of a private person that Jonathan Tace is going to, speak out more and and 
hopefully help raise awareness and and help people understand more about it because you know it's uh not an easy subject for some people to speak about yeah uh, definitely and i think you know as far as his future goes there's you know obviously a, a desire for him to retire officially as a chicago blackhawk you know it's, it's been his home for his whole career uh, but also there's this little, you know, asterisk where perhaps he would sign with Winnipeg, uh, you know, in his hometown. And so there's maybe an opportunity there should he decide to come back to the game in future years. I also think that a guy like him would be a really good candidate for a player development coach role. And whether he would do that in the Blackhawks organization or with Winnipeg, like maybe if he's taking time and spending more time in Winnipeg, he wants to be a consultant for them. I think honestly to stay in the game and to stay mentally active, uh, that might be a good role for him. It could be. And and I think it would be interesting. Look, I, I will say this. If he takes this year off, if he plays next year in Winnipeg or in Chicago or somewhere else, wherever he plays, he's going to sign a one-day contract to finish his career with the Chicago Blackhawks. There will be a Jonathan Taze day. He will have yeah. his number retired. He will have all the honors that he's deserving of uh, once he actually decides to hang it up. But, you know, I guess the first priority for him right now just has to be getting well and then figuring out what he wants to do from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the case. Uh, the other uh, bigger news in the NHL this week is the passing of Rick Jenneret, uh, otherwise known as RJ, who was the longest uh, broadcaster in NHL history, uh, you know, starting with the Sabres, in 1971-72, retired at the end of the 21-22 season. And um, I, it, it's just been uh, strange to not have him call the Sabres in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, as somebody who is pretty particular about broadcast teams and, you know, there's a certain familiarity with your hometown broadcast group. And so sure. when you listen to the other crews call games, you're always going to nitpick a little bit. But I always found that the, the Sabres were one team where I was always happy to listen to the other team's broadcasting crew because of RJ, right? Oh, he, he, he was one of a kind. You know, his style, by the time he was finishing up, his style really was from a bygone era almost. And yet it was so perfectly Buffalo Sabres hockey. I mean, and, yeah. and I, I was fortunate enough, you know, I did – for about a year or two, I did some work as a statistician on on visiting team broadcasts that came into the New York area. I worked with him a couple of times. So easy to work with, full of great stories, easy going, but yet you know he loved what he was doing, and uh, he, he will be missed. He, he was an institution in Buffalo and throughout the National Hockey League, a class act, and you just can't think of any great moment in Buffalo Sabres history without thinking about his call of it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, condolences to his friends and family and, and just uh, the NHL lost an institution this week. Yeah. I think, you know, you talk about his very specific 
calls and the you know his personality in there. There was obviously the Mayday call was very famous and uh, Top Shelf where Mama hides the cookies was uh, was his doing and I loved both of those. Um, I was watching actually some just some clips of some of his famous calls and you know obviously being a, a person who covers the Flyers, I was looking at a Flyers Sabres game and there was like almost a goalie fight and the way he was you know talking about Garth Snow was just like it was just delightful and uh, he he absolutely will be missed around the NHL. And uh, I assume the Sabres uh, will be doing uh, some sort of thing. I know they did a big thing when he retired, but I assume there'll be some sort of um, ceremony to honor him as well. Yeah, as well there should be. And uh, he, he just, the one thing I loved about him more than anything is just by listening to him or, or, watching his broadcast you just knew and felt how much he loved the game and you know that's contagious that's what the national hockey league needs uh people who just their love of the excitement and the thrills of the game permeate everything they do so uh he he will be missed class act on and off uh in and out of the broadcast booth so yeah yeah All right. Well, we are going to switch gears Uh, coming up next. We're going to talk about the ban of fighting in the Q Junior League and what effect that could have on the NHL down the road. All right. But first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you a chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a super bowl winner you can get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season just pick any team to win the super bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory and look you could use those bonus bets on point spreads player props over-unders and a lot more so no matter which of the 32 nfl teams you root for you can get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season when you place a bet on a team to win the Super Bowl now, just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started today. All right, Gil. So I think, you know, one of the more interesting developments over the past you know decade or so in hockey is kind of the slow burn of fighting being reduced and you know there there's a conversation here about is fighting essential or integral to the game of hockey or isn't it and you know as we've seen over again over the past you know 10 to 15 years you know kids and junior hockey clubs are slowly kind of removing it from the game. And so kids really aren't coming up in the game with learning fighting. And so that's sort of translated as they've entered, you know, the major junior leagues uh, so that there's less fighting. And it's gotten to the point where now the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League has banned fighting for this upcoming season. 
So if a, a player has a fight during a game, they'll be automatically ejected and face potential suspension. Any instigator of a fight will have an automatic one game suspension and any participant um, who is deemed the aggressor in the situation will be suspended for at least two games. And, you know, I think that will make it almost non-existent in, in the queue, right? I, I would think so. I, I think, you know, you'll be lucky to see one or two fights a year, maybe. Uh, uh, it, I wonder how they're going to to define instigator uh, in some cases, if if it does come to that, you know, if there is a brutal attack on a teammate and you go to defend that hit, are you the instigator or was the hit the instigator? You know, all of these things will matter ultimately. But I think in the long run, this is another step toward phasing out fighting from hockey. and. Look, even even if it doesn't ultimately result in that, the fact that you're taking 17, 18, 19-year-old kids and reducing the possible concussions and and headshots and and potential long-term health implications of it for another couple of years while they're in juniors is only a good thing for these players in the long run. Yeah, I think... So I, I think as the game has increased in terms of the physicality in general, in terms of the kinds and, and strength of the hits that are thrown, um, just as well as the speed of the game that's increased and just collisions in general, whether it's between players or into the boards, I feel like just the risk for injury has increased and risk for concussions just on that alone has increased uh, over, over the years. And so to have something else you know, that also could cause those things is not necessarily a good thing. And while I, I do, you know, I, I don't think that it's bad that fighting has been there in the past, but I do question whether it's necessary for the future. I think that's just, it's part of the evolution of the game. And, you know, if we get to a point where young kids coming up don't even know how to fight and because they haven't experienced it in their leagues, it should naturally just dissipate, uh, but we don't have a ban yet in the OHL or the WHL. I think that, you know, it will take more of these junior leagues to outright ban the fighting. Um, and I think that it's possible that that will happen, but I don't know that, especially the OHL, I don't know that that'll happen right away. It, it may not, but what will happen is this. You can be sure that the Western League and the Ontario League are going to be watching this very carefully. And if it works in the Quebec League, it may not happen next year or the year after, but down the road, if, if, if this works, we may eventually see the other leagues adopt it. So it, to, to me, this is an experiment. This is something that uh, it, you know can only move that bar forward over the long run. And... I think it's something that it's time has come. And look, I am old enough to remember the the 70s where, you know, the Broad Street Bullies were oh, coming yeah. their way through the National Hockey League and winning those two Stanley Cups. And fighting was uh, such an integral part of hockey. And my feelings about it have evolved over time. And 
to me, the idea of minimizing the potential damage to these players, because nobody wants to see a 50, 55 year old hockey player having brain damage and, 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 and suffering from all kinds of ailments. If we can, it's a contact sport. It's never going to be completely eliminated, but if we can minimize it, uh, I would certainly be in favor of that. And you're talking again about teenagers now. Uh, I think this is a, a good thing to try and let's see how it works. And hopefully it would be another step in that direction. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, and that's, you know, again, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I don't, you know, begrudge it having existed up until this point. I think it's been an exciting part of the game that fans have been drawn to, but I just think you also look at the the speed and the skill of the current players and the players, you know, that are coming down the pike. You look at Connor Bedard, like no, nobody says, Oh, we're excited because he'll pummel somebody <laughs> like, you know, we're excited because he's an amazingly skilled player. Um, you know, w- with a high hockey hockey IQ that we're excited to see him do that in the game. And so I, I feel like there there's room in the game for it to evolve like this and for it to slowly go away. And so, you know, uh, and, you know, we've seen the European game. We've seen the international game. No fighting there. Managed to have a good time with hockey as well. I just think that, again, the speed of the game right now is such that, um, the excitement is there inherently in the game without the fighting aspect of it. To me, I think it is too. And yet, look, I'm not going to lie. If, if a fight takes place in a game, I'm not going to sit there and say, I look away and say, Oh, that's terrible. I mean, especially if the game is intense, I, I, I do watch the fight and it, it is exciting to me, but that yeah. doesn't mean you know, there's sort of that split between my mind and my emotions where my mind right. says, you don't need this in the game. And my emotion says, hey, the player that the team that I'm rooting for, go get them. You know, I mean, so there there is that sort of contradiction. Uh, but I think in the long run, the future of the game involves less fighting, if not no fighting. And this is another step in that direction. Yeah, and I, I think you have to kind of look at it side by side with the NHL's attempt to regulate the kinds of hits that are thrown in the game, because you know if the fighting goes away, I think you are going to see some bigger hits and maybe some illegal hits as part of it. And so that it's it is a delicate balance here. Like I, I'm not saying this is going to be an easy path. I think there will be some mitigating events that happen, you know, if the fighting goes away, somebody's going to throw a big hit and somebody could get hurt. You know, I, I don't deny that that's a possibility. And so I think it, it's a careful process that's going to have to be monitored, um, you know, extremely delicately as this impetus reaches the NHL level. Right. Yeah. And, and, and look, it, it's something that will evolve over time. If, if we were to go back to, you know, 1995 and talk about where fighting was then i don't know if we would envision where we are today uh based on you know the the days of uh probert and kosher and and those guys sort of you know punching their way through the league at that point so where it's going to be in 10 years and 15 years remains to be seen but to me 
if you can minimize the risk that the players are taking to their long-term health. And like you said, the game is exciting enough. Just the game itself. Fighting may always be a part of hockey in some way, but it probably will be fewer and further between and heading toward less and less over time. Yeah, I think so. But uh, we'll see how this goes this upcoming season in the queue. And I'm sure a lot of eyes will be on that league, like you said, in terms of, you know, what is it going to mean for the NHL in the future? In the meantime, you know, we're getting itchy for some games to start. We're looking ahead on the calendar in the preseason and the NHL is headed to Australia. We're going to talk about that and potential other places for the NHL to visit coming up next. Gil, we have absolutely reached the point in the summer where I'm ready. Like, can we get these camps started? Can we get some preseason action going? And, you know, the first day on the preseason calendar for the NHL is a little over a month away and is going to be starting out uh, in Australia. And I think, you know, just thinking about international sports in Australia, it's kind of big right now because the Women's World Cup in soccer is uh, finishing up there right now. And it's been like a huge success. I think, and, you know, it's been a little harder for us in North America with the game times, but I also think that they've done a great job, the partnership with Australia and New Zealand and, and, you know, how that, that world cup has gone. And, you know, there is active hockey happening in Australia. They do have a, a, both a men's league and a women's league there. And, uh, I think it's a really cool place to try to expand the footprint of hockey to with those games between Arizona and um, LA in Melbourne. Yeah. I, I love it. Long road trip, 8,000 miles, roughly <laughs> up those frequent flyer miles, but uh, yeah. And, and it's a chance to grow the game in, in a new market. I mean, there have been hockey tours uh, taking place in Australia before, but never NHL preseason or regular season games. And, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to grow the game, to expose a new market to live hockey. And, you know, those are seeds that you hope to plant and, and, and uh, sort of help the sport have a higher profile in a, in a new country, a new continent. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. And the fact that it's roughly a month away makes it even more exciting because hockey is just around the corner. Yeah, and, you know, the primary location for a lot of these global series games, or they used to have this NHL premier uh, series as well. And, and these international games go way back, even to like the 40s and 50s. Uh, we, we saw some action there. But uh, it's been primarily in Europe, right? And so, you know, we've had a few select games in Asia before. We've seen games in Japan and China. Um, we did see a game in Puerto Rico, I believe, once, uh, you know, which is which was cool. But I think that, you know, expanding the footprint, like you said, to to Australia, especially when Australia is now in the international sports spotlight. Think, I think that um, 
is a really good opportunity to grow the fan base uh, for the league. And it just makes me think like, okay, where else could the NHL go that they haven't before? And really just like the obvious thing here is that now other than Australia, the global South has been largely ignored. Right. And so um, is there an opportunity to have hockey in Africa? Is there opportunity to have hockey in South America? Um, I I think that would be an incredible thing. And especially, you know, when you have the inverted seasons, when you have, um, you know, the tail end of their winter be the early preseason, I think, you know, that's, that's a great chance there. And um, I would love to see, you know, an NHL game in Brazil. I would love to see an NHL game in Argentina. I would love to see an NHL game in Kenya. And there's these international federations um, abroad that are starting to grow their games. And, you know, they're in the second or like third tier of international hockey. But, you know, what a get that would be for their hockey federations, right? That's how you go from the third tier to the second tier and the second tier to the first tier. You drum up. Yeah all kinds of interest and take it to the next level. So uh, absolutely, that would be a a huge opportunity. Now, look, this is not something that you can just do at the drop of a hat. It takes years of planning uh, and outreach and organization, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. That means they should start getting on it right now. And, you know, so many places in the Southern Hemisphere that are untapped as far as uh, hockey markets are concerned, whether you're growing the game organically through getting people exposed to it and starting to play it, whether you're trying to get more fans there in these different countries and different continents, I think it's a great opportunity. And, you know, if, if Gary Bettman, his strategy has always been go South. This is South. You know, this is very south, but uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity. And if you could hold one of these types of games in a new market every year, every other year, it, you, you start to really make connections throughout the globe that can only benefit the, the sport and the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, and there's probably also opportunities in the Middle East and South Asia that we haven't seen either. And I I think that um, it it would just be a a tremendous thing. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how these games in Melbourne go. Um, The timing is very much geared toward those Pacific division teams that are playing in it so that it starts at 9 PM their time, which is as it should be. It's going to be a little rougher for us East Coasters to watch those games at midnight. Um, and it is, it looks like it'll be a split squad game for both of those because it'll be the, the first preseason game. So that makes total sense from, you know, an NHL preseason camp pers- perspective. But yeah, I think that um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I think it'll kind of show what they can do in a place where they don't necessarily have the infrastructure there and they have to transport a lot of things and and figure out a way to make it work and it's a good uh, test case uh, moving forward for some other markets as well absolutely the logistics of it are not easy but look the league has held outdoor games in warm weather areas in the united states i am sure they can handle it and uh you know it's the next frontier for the national hockey league and i'm looking forward to seeing 
the game in Australia and where else the league decides to go. Yeah, I think so as well. And um, I think that, you know, again, I'm itching to see some hockey. So I'll probably stay up until midnight to watch those games in Australia. Uh, and a uh, little over a month away, Gil, we can, we'll get there. We will. We will. All right. That will do it for today's show. Gil, of course, you'll be back on Monday with uh, checking in on teams from around the league with our local Locked On NHL hosts. And uh, we'll be back next Friday to recap the week that was in hockey. And uh, we look forward to that as well. Have a great weekend, everybody.